0: Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark. Or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. Now I watch um, a lot of movies and one thing that I've come to expect from movies, particularly sequels, is that you're going to get the same plot in a different situation. So <clears throat> just chat amongst yourselves. Has there been a, a sequel that you've watched where it's essentially the same plot as the first movie? Chat right. Korean dramas?
1: Korean dramas. What's
0: the plot in a Korean drama? Uh, it's like a rich girl and a poor guy and then they fall in love. And, right. they have some trauma, and then they end up together. Okay. Is that true from those who watch Korean dramas? Yep. Cool. Very very romantic. You must, you know, watch yeah. a lot of romantic movies. Um well I recall one movie that had essentially the same plot. Um, I've watched a fair bit of Star Wars over the years, going back to when I was a kid. Um, and used to have like little teddy bears that were like Ewoks and stuff. And then when Star Wars um, Rogue One came out, surprise, surprise, the First Order had built, wait for it, another planet-sized space gun. Which was, if you know anything about Star Wars, that's exactly the same thing that was in the other movies. So th- I think this paints a good picture of the repeated cycle we get in the Book of Judges. You get the same plot, but in different situations. And here's what we get in verse 1. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Now, we're not told what this evil was. But the same phrase um, is in chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. In other words, they worshipped the idols of the very people they were meant to kick out. And as a result, we return to the cycle of sin and deliverance. And so in verse 2 it says, and if you've got your Bible open, you can follow along. uh, Chapter 4, verse 2. The Lord, who'd actually bought Israel out of slavery, sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And if you have a look at the map up on the screen, um, you get a sense of what's going on in the action there. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheph Haggaiyim. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. And so the irony here in verse 2 is they failed to drive out the Canaanites and their idolatry, and lo and behold, surprise, surprise, now they're up against some duke called the King of Canaan and 900 chariots. Okay, so Israel is slaved by 900 iron chariots. How could they possibly be saved by such an overwhelming army? Well, as I mentioned before, I love movies, especially good hero movies. And the thing you're always looking out for is, how are they going to be able to win the victory against overwhelming odds? Now, in verse 3, we read the Israelites cry to the Lord for help. And in verse 4, we introduce to Deborah a prophetess who was judging Israel at the time. And so this is the question, is Deborah going to be the hero? Having received response from God, Deborah sends messengers to fetch Barak. And she tells him in verse 7, I will give Sisera into your hand. So God wants Barak to have confidence that God is going to give him the victory. In fact, that's one way to describe faith, I think. God is going to give you the victory. And that's exactly what happens in the following verses. So the battle happens. Barak is meant to lead these soldiers. The tensions raise. raised. How could an army of foot soldiers defeat 900 tanks, essentially? And in verse 13, Sisera, the commander, calls out all his chariots. But there is the, there's a the thing. In verse 3, Israel had already cried out to the Lord. And so in verse 15, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his men. And this is an interesting thing. Like, What do you notice is not actually talked about in the passage. Good storytellers, they actually only highlight the things that are necessary. What you don't get there is how elaborate Cicero's battle plan was or you don't get a sense of how mightily and bravely that Barak fought. Because ultimately the outcome wasn't affected by any of those things. Because God is the hero of the story. Um, And it's Deborah's faith that highlights God's victory. So instead of charging into battle like um, Joan of Arc, Deborah actually helps Barak to go into battle. And just think about Deborah's courage, right? Deborah faces 900 iron chariots so that she can actually support Barak um, and demonstrate to him what faith really looks like. But I think often we don't feel a lot like Deborah. We all have different struggles that can help us to feel low and helpless and defeated. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's stress, addiction, relationship struggles, maybe gossip at school and it makes us feel powerless and it can be tempted to turn to to a sort of self-help mindset but this is the thing that we learn here it's not the strength of Barak or his own uh, ability that wins the battle against 900 chariots Um, because think about it, it would have been way too overwhelming for Barak and so consider your enemies as well Maybe it's the opposition of your non-Christian friends. Maybe it's the anxiety you feel. Maybe it's the doubt you still have about your faith. And these are really difficult things to face. But this is the thing. You're, You're actually not alone. The commander of armies is with you. And actually he's encouraging you to embrace your weakness. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul actually says that God gives us grace in our weakness. And so when you actually throw up your hand and say, I'm done, God, I give up, I'm powerless, you're actually inviting God to carry you beyond your own strength. So faith is confidence that God will have the victory. But this story also teaches us that faith is also means having confidence that God will work in the unexpected. So have a look with me at verse 11 in the passage. We read now, Heba, the Kenite, has separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of, of Moses, who had pitched his tent as far as the oak of Zenonim, which is near Kadesh. And the first thing you read that and you go, who cares? right? That just seems like really meaningless information. But what verse 11 is showing us is actually how God is at work in the details. So where does Sisera run to? Because originally that, that encampment was like somewhere down here. And they the camp moved all the way up there, right? Verse seventeen. Sisera meanwhile fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heba the Kenite. So what do we discover? That Jael, Heber's, Heber's wife, was actually precisely where she needed to be when Israel's oppressor ditched his chariot and ran for his life, leading to a really unexpected defeat for Sisera. And so the first unexpected thing you see there is a random settlement of people way up north. Secondarily, do we have any light on how the Lord defeated Sisera? Why, why did he get out of his really powerful chariot and run on foot? Well, verse 15 says the Lord routed Sisera. And actually in the next chapter, Deborah says that what happened was there was a thunderstorm. It rained a lot. And that meant all the chariots got bogged. They had the upper hand, but all of a sudden, God sends thunder and rain and they get bogged. And so all of Sisera's tactical advantage is gone. And so here's the second unexpected means God uses for salvation. He works through a thunderstorm. Okay, so we've got unexpected settlement. We've got a thunderstorm. Verse 6 to 7, God promises bright victory. How does he respond? Verse 8, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So he is faced with 900 iron chariots. Understandably, his faith weakens. But God meets Barak in his weakness, as Deborah agrees to support him as he leads the army. In verse 9, Deborah says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So when Barak failed to trust God's word, he actually gave up the opportunity to get glory and honour. Jael goes out to meet Sisera. She offers him security. He dozes off. And then there's a really unexpected twist. She actually gets a tent peg, and this is like goes from G to R rated, and actually hammers a tent peg through this guy's temple while he's asleep. It doesn't get much more gruesome than that. And so here we see the third unexpected um, thing that God does for salvation. He works through Jael. And what we see is what is called God's providence, God's providence, where he works through all sorts of events to bring about his purposes. And that's the same thing that happened for us on the cross. Acts chapter 2 says, This man Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But, surprise, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Who would have thought that the means of torture would have been the way God saved? That God would have used evil for good? And God's been doing that all the way through the Bible. You see, God uses a murderous person in Paul, God uses a coward with Peter, and our commander can work through you, even through difficult circumstances and even through your weakness. And so, as you look back at your life, I think we can start to see maybe God's been at work in the seemingly irrelevant details. And so we should start looking at our life through the eyes of faith. Think about activities you plan and events that took you by surprise. Think about what you've enjoyed and what went wrong. For example, maybe this morning, you know, you get up and you're running out the door and your toothpaste like wrecks your clothes or you, you get a mark on your Air Jordans or something like that. But the thing is, it's all part of God's plan. This perspective, I think, radically alters all the day-to-day moments of your life. So sometimes we, I think we more easily see God at work in the big things, but we're less likely to see how God's at work in the little things in our life. Suppose you're um, stuck in traffic on your way to school tomorrow and it's easy to like, get freaked out because you're going to get like, a detention from your teacher, or something like that, and, and worrying about being late and being frustrated because you wasted all this time you meant to catch up with your friends before school or whatever. But what happens if you remind yourself, God hasn't lost control of my life. This is his plan. He designed this with me in mind. Is this an opportunity to learn something? Maybe it's an opportunity to pray. Is it um, a God-given moment to reflect on God's word at that point in the car? Or maybe you can't see any purpose in whatever happens to you tomorrow. But it's enough for you to trust that your father cares for you. It's enough for you to pray something like, My Father, thank you that I have the victory in Christ. And thank you for this. Please use this to make me more like Jesus. And I think that's what Paul is saying when he says in Romans 8, all things work together for good. What's the good? To make us like Jesus. And so each time this week something goes wrong, I think pray, My Father, thank you I have the victory in Christ and thank you for this. Please use it. To make me more like Jesus. And I want to encourage you just with one last story. This is a story from a long time ago. This is back um, in like the late 1800s. And there was a dude, and he was a very famous songwriter. And he was on this boat, and, and there's a couple of passages on the boat. And <clears throat> some people asked him to sing a song. And so he sings this song, um, Be the Guardian of Our Way. Okay, he sings this song. Someone from the crowd actually steps forward. And he asks this really random question. He says, were you doing picket duty on a moonlit night in 1862? And this songwriter dude says, yes, actually, I was. Um, The other dude says, so was I, but I was serving in the opposing army. I was with the Confederates. This other dude was with the Union Army. And he said, I saw you standing at your post. And I thought to myself, that guy will never get away alive. And I raised my gun and I took aim. And I was standing in the shadow and I was completely concealed while the full light of the moon was shining on you. And at that instance, just as a, um, as a moment went by, you raised your eyes to heaven and you began to sing. And I thought to myself, well, let's just give him this song to the end. I can shoot him afterwards. But the song you sang was the same song that you sang now. And I heard the words Perfectly. We are yours and you have befriended us. Be the guardian of our way. And those words actually stirred up in me a lot of memories. And I began to think about my childhood and my mum who was a Christian. And she would many times sung that same song to me. And so when you had finished your song, it was actually impossible for me to shoot you. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And so my arm fell limp at its side. In the same way, God is our hero. He's the guardian and commander of your life. And he's won for us salvation. And he goes ahead of us to fight our battles. So we can have confidence that he's working in the unexpected things this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that um, this week, knowing that Jesus has already won the victory for us in Christ, that when things don't go our way, that we might be able to say to you, Father, thank you that you have the victory in Christ and help us to thank you for even these things. And please use the irrelevant or disappointing things in our life to make us more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.